0: Good morning everyone. My name is Susan Reddy and I'll be bringing us just actually my joy to open the scripture with you this morning. I love preaching God's word. (laughs) Um, But before we begin, will you bow your head and pray with me? Lord, we're blind and we need to see. And so Lord, this morning we ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Help us to see you speak to us this morning, we pray, Lord. We're listening. We need you. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, we can't manage very well without light, can we? We really notice that the most, if we're ever in a blackout Some of us experience that in the snow, or have, over the last couple of months. And suddenly, when the lights go out, we can't see what is all around us. Is this really loud? Does it feel really loud to you? Okay, okay. Um, We can't see what's there all around us. And so, um, as we get up and grope around, trying to remember where we left that flashlight or maybe a candle, we bump straight into the furniture or trip over something, because we forgot it was there. And when we finally find something that can even give us a little speck of light, it's such a relief, because then we don't have to feel like we're groping and and lost and maybe going to get hurt. And the truth is, we though, we cannot do very much without it without light. We can't really, even when we find that little speck of light, we still really just can chat maybe. We can't make food, we can't study, we can't do our work, we can't do anything. And the same is true for us spiritually. We can't function properly in this life without spiritual light. Without spiritual light, we're actually blind spiritually, blind to some truths that that we're just not aware of, blind to our sin, blind to how to manage our guilt and shame. It can overwhelm us. Blind to our purpose. We don't even really know why we're here. Living in spiritual darkness leaves us groping around, doesn't it? Without the spiritual light, life seems empty, meaningless, and hopeless. And so in his gospel, John wants us to know that Jesus is that light. In fact, actually, he is the exclusive source of spiritual light. And at the beginning of his gospel, remember, he's told us, the whole reason he's given us this book is so we would... We can believe. He told us that Jesus came to earth to bring the light of God into our spiritually dark and dying world. Last week, Mike took us through a wonderful unpacking of scripture where we saw that what scripture helps us to understand the symbolism of light and darkness in the Bible, but also to understand this metaphor of Jesus as light. And So this week, we now come to a chapter 9 of John where he gives us a, an actual illustration to show us what it means that Jesus is the light of the world by giving man sight who was born blind. So let's look at these verses together. If you have a Bible, please open it or you can follow along with me up there. So in verse 1 to 2, we have heard already from uh, Heather, but let's go back here. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, just so you understand why they asked this, contemporary Jewish belief was that there was this cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. So that if somebody was suffering, it was due to either the fact that the person sinned or their parents sinned. We see this as early as the book of Job, where his comforters come along and tell him, just admit you sinned. Now, this is not really a very compassionate question, is it? Um, But Jesus does engage with it to teach his disciples that neither, and so he says, neither the man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, we could actually spend all morning on just these verses because it really uh, kind of exposes for us the age-old question that so many people ask, why does a good God allow suffering? And... You know, the Bible does teach there is a relationship between sin and suffering. It tells us, though, that there's suffering in the world because we live in a fallen world. It is not necessarily our own personal sin. It is not necessarily a cause and effect relationship. But that sin came in because of Adam and Eve's disobedience. And with it came catastrophic suffering. It wasn't God's plan that we would suffer When we sinned, it destroyed our relationship with God, with each other, and with our world, and so our world is not as it should be. So now life is hard, it's dark, it's painful, there's sickness, there's natural disasters, death, disease, pain. So yes, there is suffering in this world because of sin, but it's not always a cause and effect relationship. Some is, for sure, but not always. And so Jesus turns the table and he talks. Now instead of talking, trying to crack their brains open, trying to figure out why this man is suffering, he wants to talk about God's good purposes in it. And he basically says that the works of God can be displayed. In other words, the glory of God can be displayed. The truth is God is in control of everything in our lives. And in all things he works for the good of those who love him. He can even take our suffering. This is the amazing thing about God. He can even take something incredibly painful, and if we allow him to, he can bring something great, greatly good out of it. And God can be so glorified on it, in it. And you know, the truth is, there's some things we can only learn in the midst of suffering. When have you most had the strongest experience of God in your life? Was it when things were going well, or when you were going through difficulty? We may pray for healing or a way out, but more majestic work happens. It's more Christ formation happens in us. When he doesn't heal or give us a way out, but he sustains us in it, we experience God more. Other people see God more in our lives, don't they? And so, one thing, though, is we must understand our suffering does not mean that God has abandoned us or does not love us, and that is what we're tempted to think, isn't it? When you're suffering, know this truth. God sees you, and he wants to help you. And so that is exactly what Jesus is going to do. You know, in these verses, the disciples saw a sinner. Jesus saw a man in need of help, didn't he? So he goes over to help him. And he says, in verse 4 and 5, as long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when I when." We can work no more. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Night is coming. Now, Mike did talk about this last week, so very briefly, this just means that Jesus is going to go soon. Jesus, the light of the world, is going to leave. He's going to go and die on a cross for our sins. And so while he's still here, He needs to do the work of the Father. And so he's going to go now. He's not going to leave this man a subject of theological debate. He's going to go and help him. So he goes over, and interestingly, he doesn't just say, have sight, and suddenly he has sight. He actually does something unusual. He spits on the ground, makes mud, puts it on his eyes, tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. the man was not passive in the miracle was he he was going to be god was jesus was going to get him to be an active participant he had to trust and obey in order to be healed very interesting and he does he believes jesus somehow makes his way to this pool washes in it and lo and behold this man who's never seen before gets his sight and so then we see in the remainder of the chapter five conversations between various people and as the man, he, as, the, as these conversations happen, the man's vision of Jesus increases, but the blindness of the Pharisees also increases. So let's look at them quickly together. The first conversation in verse 8 to 12 is between the man and his neighbors. And they basically are not in agreement that this was actually the man who they knew, who was blind and that used to beg on the corner. So they're arguing with each other. And so he insists, I am the man, and then they say to him, well, I mean, okay then, so how did you get your eyes opened? And he replies in verse 11, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Silo- Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Notice in these verses, what does he call Jesus? A man. So all he knows is he's named Jesus and he is a man. So then the next conversation in verses 13 to 17 is between the man and the Pharisees. So apparently this was such a great miracle. The people drag him off to the Pharisees to, uh, I don't know, show them, get, I don't know what they wanted from the Pharisees. But instead of being uh, extremely happy for this man that he could finally see, they were divided. Some of the Pharisees actually were really not very happy because Jesus had healed him on a Sabbath. Now, um, you know, Sabbath was um, originally given... Sorry, regionally given by God to his people as a gift. He gave this to people who had been in slavery all of their lives, never got to rest. A day of rest, a day to trust him, a day to focus on him. But the religious leaders had taken this and added so many man-made rules that they'd actually ruined the Sabbath. They'd made it such a burden and now they're so focused on those man-made rules they can't even see God himself standing in front of them. And so, um, they don't believe it, but a few did. They said, um, well, you know, it must be because how can a sinner heal somebody born blind? And so, um, next conversation then. Oh, so then they turn to him and they say, so what do you say? You are the one he healed. And what does he say? He says, he is a prophet. So he's moving along and understanding. The next conversation now is between the Pharisees and the man's parents. That's in verses 18 to 23. Now, these Pharisees, some of them actually refused to believe he was even born blind. And so they drag the parents before them and, and ask them three questions. They say, First of all, is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? And how is it that now he can see? And so the parents are like, Yes, he's our son. Yes, he was born blind. But um, as for how he can see, ask him. He's old enough. <laughs> It's like they're kicking him under the bus, right? And, um, you know, actually, John explains to us why they say that. It's because they're afraid. These Jewish leaders have already decided that anybody who acknowledges Jesus as Messiah is going to get kicked out of the synagogue. That was a terrible thing, to be kicked out of the synagogue. And so they say, go ask him. And, you know, I think John gives us this so we'll feel... You know, maybe sorry for them, understand their parents, but also, I think, to see the courage of this man born blind because of the next conversation. So the next one happens between the man and the Pharisees in verse 24 to 34. They summon him back to cross-examine him, but really they want him just to deny Jesus. They say to him, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. This is like saying to somebody, put your hand on this Bible and you know, agree to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. <laughs> the irony is they don't want the truth. It's right there in front of them. But they've already decided. And so um, <clears throat> they say to him, basically, uh, swear to tell the truth. And so rather, though, than giving into their power, their authority. I don't forget, these were the most powerful, most well-educated men in Israel. He's a man who's been begging on the side of, a, of the street. He stands up to them and he says, I don't know, but one thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. You now he gives his personal testimony. This shows us the incredible power of a personal testimony. You know, if we would just tell people what Jesus did for us, all the intellectual wrangling in the whole world will not be able to stop, will not be able to stop the truth. I was blind, but now I see. It's very powerful to give your personal testimony. And so they really can't stand up against it, so now they they move on to saying, how? How did he open your eyes? And now the man's getting frustrated, and he says, look, I've already told you, and you didn't listen. Why do you want me to tell you again? Do you want to be his disciples too? <laughs> dig, dig, dig. Um, so <laughs> now he thinks of himself as a disciple or a follower of Jesus. Do you see him walking along the path here? It's interesting, isn't it? Well, they are very angry with that. So they hurl insults at him, abuse him. They say, You are a, dis- a disciple of this fellow. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. We don't even know where this fellow comes from. And the man says, basically, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. Now, just this Pharisees, because they can't really argue anymore, they resort to uh, most people who really have no argument anymore, anger. They kick him straight out of the synagogue. Now, you know, for us, that doesn't sound like a big deal. We think, just go to another synagogue, man, it's okay. <laughs> But to be kicked out of the synagogue is to be kicked out of Judaism. It's to be excommunicated. It is to be cut off from all your friends, your family, and your support systems. This was devastating. This is why the parents were so scared. This is what happened to the man for standing up and saying he was a disciple of Jesus. So what does Jesus do? He comes and finds him. He hears that this man has been kicked out of the synagogue, and he finds him and you know it's no accident that in the next part of the scripture John talks about Jesus being the good shepherd who comes and gathers his sheep to himself. That's what Jesus does. He knows he's being kicked out and so he finds him and when he finds him he says, this is the last conversation, do you believe in the son of man? And what does he say? He says, tell me who he is, sir, so I may believe in him. And so in verse 37, Jesus basically says to him, he's the one talking to you. You have seen him. I'm the one speaking with you. I'm the Messiah. That's what the son of man was. It was a way of referring to the Messiah, the long-awaited one who would come to save all of Israel, all people from their sins. And so the man believes him. In verse 28, he says, Lord, I believe, and he worships him. This poor man had step by step followed the light of Jesus. So first his eyes were opened, and then he followed the evidence as God illuminated his mind. So he moved from thinking Jesus was a man to a prophet to saying he was a disciple to acknowledging he was from God to finally worshiping him as God. Jesus had opened his eyes not just so he could see physically, but so he could see spiritually and believe. But the Pharisees, they had the same light, didn't they? Actually, they had more light. They knew the scriptures. They were the most educated in Israel. They knew all of the Old Testament prophecies that talked about what Messiah was gonna be like, including the prophecy that said the prophecies that said he was gonna give sight to the blind. But because Jesus didn't look like what they wanted, or expected, they refused to look at the evidence in front of them and their minds became more and more entrenched in dark, blind unbelief. Okay, so how are we to apply these verses to our lives then? Well, before we think about how Jesus brings light into our lives, let's think about what light does in general, in, in the world, in our life. Light allows us to see, right? There would be no such thing as sight if we didn't have light. Light reveals. It reveals a path forward. It reveals the way to go, reveals to protect, to guide. Light exposes what is hidden. Have you ever noticed when you turn over a piece of wood in the backyard, if you're a gardener and you come across a piece of wood, if you turn it over, all those wiggly worms are there (laughs) and they go skittering off because creatures of the dark don't like the light. It's exposing, isn't it? Light also grows things. Plants need light to thrive, to grow, to be nourished. The same light that makes those wiggly worms or creatures run grows a seed into a beautiful plant. Light also brings a sense of hope and safety and security, doesn't it? If you're walking along a path and you don't really know where to go and suddenly you see a light in front of you, and you think, oh, that's where I can go for safety. That's where I can go. It's my home. I'll go there. So let's look at how Jesus does those things in our lives, shall we? First and most important, Jesus' light allows us to see him. Jesus performed an amazing miracle of grace in this man's life, didn't he? Giving him sight. This man was born blind. Close your eyes just for a second, just do it. Humor me. <laughs> That's all that man had ever seen since the moment he was born. Never, ever had he seen anything other than that. He had never seen the face of a loved one, sunlight, a sunset, flowers, a mountain, Never seen the beauty of this creation, never. And then one day, Jesus miraculously opened his eyes and he could see everything that had been there all the time. And this man did nothing, not one single thing to deserve it. Yes, he went and washed in the pool of Siloam, but that isn't what gave him a sight, is it? It was Jesus. And so this is just an amazing illustration for us of what our Lord does for us spiritually. Do you know, we are all born blind. We are. Sin literally blinds us to the reality and the beauty of God. On our own, we can't see him. And because we can't see him, we cannot believe him. If we maybe have an inkling that there might be a God, we think of him as far away, as cruel, waiting to judge us or punish us, and so we hide from him. And we're blind to the fact that we are sinners. In fact, actually, um, without the light of Jesus, we laugh at the idea of sin. What an archaic concept. So if we don't know that we have sin, we don't know we need a savior, do we? and so like those little critters under the wood we just are in the dark mucking about in the dirt so much so unaware that there's so much more so much more out there we need we need jesus to do for us what he did for this man to open our eyes shine his beautiful light into our darkness and open our eyes so we can see what was there all the time to take to show us the truth That God is so beautiful when he does that, when he shines his light into our darkness, he shows us that God is beautiful, glorious, compassionate, and merciful, desiring us, reaching out to us day after day after day, wanting us to be in relationship with him. That's what his light shows us. His light shows us that we are sinners. Yes, the things we do are not what God wants. But that we're so loved and cherished that he sent his son to save us. And his light shows us that this world is more than we realize. It gives us his perspective. There's just so much more. It's not really ultimately about us, is it? No, it's about God. Without Jesus to show us Open our eyes, we're just blind. We need him to show us that we can see. And so when we open our eyes, we can see and we can be saved from our sin and we can turn to him and receive what he wants to freely give us. All we have to do is open our hands and accept it and be set free. So have you had your eyes opened? Jesus is shining his light right now, right now. In fact, Jesus is standing right in front of you and saying, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe I'm the Messiah? Do you believe that I didn't just die on the cross for the sins of the world? I died on the cross for the sins of Susan. I died on the cross for the sins of you. There is enough evidence. Will you follow it? You have a choice. You can follow it like this man did and open your hands and your heart to him. Say, Lord, I believe and worship him and receive forgiveness. Or you can say, no, uh-uh, I don't, you don't look like I expect. You're not what I want. I have too many questions and I just, I'm not going to believe and stay in the dark. You have a choice today. The second thing we see in these verses is that Jesus' light allows us to see right paths. Jesus guided this man along the path of truth until he again came to believe the truth, didn't he? And so Jesus' light does that for us to do. His light reveals. Reveals just like physical light shows us the way we should go, his light reveals to us the way we should go, God's paths. Because God's paths are the paths where we will thrive and flourish, not dead-end paths of sin. That's where a whole world of hurt is waiting for us. Might feel good at the moment, dancing along that path. When we get to the dead end, it's very, very painful. And so Jesus does that, he lights the way. And so how does he do that today? Well, he does it through his Holy Spirit and through his word. Jesus is not with us physically right now, is he? But he does live inside of us, and we know him by his spirit, God himself. And so he illuminates our minds. He speaks to us. As we open our word, he allows it to make sense to us, shows us how it applies personally to us, to guide us, to um, protect us, to comfort us, encourage us, yes, and correct us back onto the right path. Psalm 119 tells us, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. His light, through the, through the Holy Spirit, enables us to walk in his ways. But here's the thing, following his paths is not always easy or the most comfortable, is it? Because sometimes we love those dead-end paths. They are so, feel so good at the time to go down there, Right? And sometimes those paths that the Lord wants us to go on um, do deny because they're following Jesus. They involve self-denial. They involve uh, painful choices. They involve doing something for others that we'd rather not do because they've hurt us. God's paths are not always the easiest, but they are the best. Because on those paths, the Lord is with us, and that's where we flourish. That's where we thrive. That's where we grow. And so that brings us to our next thing that the Lord does for us, and that is his light allows us to grow spiritually. You know, I don't know if you've ever noticed a gardener, when they're gardening, they do two things. They pull out weeds and they plant seeds, don't they? That's what the Lord's light does in our lives. He exposes the weeds of sin so it can get pulled out, and then he gives light so beautiful fruit can grow. I don't know if you've ever noticed. Maybe you have. The closer you get to the Lord, the more you study his word, the more sinful you feel. I noticed that when I started studying his word, actually, and it really frustrated me. I was actually kind of angry about the whole thing. (laughs) Like, why? You know, the truth is, though, as the closer we get to the glorious beauty and bright holiness of God, the more it exposes what's inside of us, doesn't it? Isaiah experienced that when he was right before the throne of God. (gasps) He said, oh, woe is me, woe is me. He didn't say, I'm pretty good, God. I'm better than all those over there. He said, oh, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. He could just suddenly see it all. But what did God do for him? He didn't say, you're right, Isaiah. No. (laughs) No. cleansed him. Cleansed him. So the truth is our sin fills us with shame. Makes us want to hide. But God says come into my light. I'm not going to I don't I think Jesus did not come here to condemn us. God does not expose our sin to condemn us or to hurt us or make us feel terrible about it he does it to heal us from it to invite us out of it to show us the way out you know we need never be afraid to bring our sin before our holy god because when we bring it into the light i don't know if you've noticed this when you confess your sin it loses its power over you And you can turn to the Lord to help you walk free of it and you can know his forgiveness. You can walk free of all that guilt that you're dragging around with you. You don't have to. You can give it to God. And when you are set free, the sun, when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Cut the chains, it's gone. But the other thing the Lord does then is he grows beautiful fruit, doesn't he? As we sit, as we bask in his light, read his word, obey him, walk in his paths, the Holy Spirit grows fruit, love for God. As we read his word, our love grows, and he grows fruit. Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, beautiful fruit. Fruit of the Holy Spirit. So that is what the Lord does with his, with his light. He grows, he does those three things, and then the fourth thing he does is he brings hope and healing. Hope and healing into our dark places. You know, this man who was born blind knew what it was to have no hope. He had to beg on a street. He'd been blind all of his life. He knew suffering. You know, life can be very hard and dark. I would say, if I asked you right now how many of you have suffered, all of you would put your hands up. (laughs) Suffering is part of being human, isn't it? We uh, suffer from grief, from loss. We suffer from loneliness and fear-crippling anxiety. We worry about the future. What does it hold? We worry about our past, what we did. We worry about our kids. We worry about our health. It can just be so filled with suffering. And sometimes it just can be so very, very dark. It can be so very hard to see God. Our pain can blind us to him yet it does not change the fact that there is an unseen reality. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not true. It's still there. God is still on the throne. He's still at work. He's still all-powerful. He is full of love and compassion and grace. And even in the darkest of times, he is always at work, even when we can't see it. And he's always ready, willing, and oh, so able to help us so how then if we're blind in the dark are we going to see are we going to see his light well i would say these verses have a message for us we need to be actively involved in it look at what god did, jesus did with this man he said go to the pool wash your face take the mud out he was actively involved isn't in looking and seeing wasn't he and so we need to be actively involved we need to open our eyes And look, and so we can look at his word. It's full of such incredible, bone-strengthening promises of what God will do and is doing for us, even in the dark. Look to his people. You know what? We need each other. We weren't supposed to do this life as a solo act. We need the comfort that we can give each other, the camaraderie and the strength that we can hold each other up as brothers and sisters in Christ. We can sing praise to him. This is one of my favorites, actually, because singing to him, it's like another language. It opens my mind up to him. As you sing worship to him, you listen to Praise 106.5 or other worship music, doesn't your heart lift with joy because you can see him in the dark? And if all of those fail, look at the cross, look at the cross. If you doubt his love, his provision, or his presence, look at what your Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, God of heaven and earth, was willing to do for you. He came and he died for you, and he understands what it is to suffer like we will never know. He went through the dark night of the soul suffering and bled blood of anguish. And then on the cross, he poured out his blood for us. He didn't have to stay on the cross. It was his love for you and me that held him there. And so he knows what it is to hurt, and he knows how to comfort us, and he'll come alongside us in our pain and dispel the darkness by whispering truth to us. He'll say, don't fear, I'm with you, don't be dismayed. I am your God. I'll strengthen you and help you. I'll cause you to stand. He says, when you pass through the waters, I'm with you. When you pass through the rivers, they're not going to sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you're not going to be burned because I am your Savior. You are precious in my sight, and I love you. Do you think if he would give his life on a cross for us, he's not going to come alongside us in our pain and struggle? Of course he is. But you know, sometimes in the dark, we just have to trust that. We sang that this morning, didn't we? I just have to trust you, even when I can't see. And this reminds me of a song by Lauren Daigle. I, again, I, I love worship songs. They remind me so much of the Lord. She says in her song, When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers, as I cry out to you. I will trust, I will trust, I will trust in you. You are my strength and comfort. You are my steady hand. You are my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. We may not be able to see him in the dark, but he is there, and he is with us, and he will comfort us. And you know, one day, if we keep on going, keep on holding on, We are going to see him face to face. Even if we actually fall down, we're still going to see him face to face. He promises us that one day he's going to come back. And we won't have to use the eyes of faith to see him. We can use our actual eyes to see him. Hallelujah. He's coming back. That is our hope in our darkness, isn't it? This is not all there is. This is just the cover page. Real life happens when Jesus comes back. And then every pain, every suffering, every thing we cried, it will be, we won't even hardly remember it in the light of his glory and his grace. So Jesus is the light in our darkness. And finally, Jesus enables enables us to be light. This one's short, I promise. Jesus enables us to be light. You know what Matthew told us? Jesus said to his followers, you are the light of the world. Jesus lives in us by his spirit. And where we go, we take his spirit with us. And you know, there are people in our lives who really need the light of Jesus, don't they? They really need the light of Jesus. They are in darkness. They are suffering. They are struggling. They have no hope. They don't know where to turn. And so don't hide your light. Don't hide your light. Live out loud. Shine brightly for him. Let them know where they can find hope and healing and help. I began by saying we can't manage very well without light. And the truth is we cannot manage at all without the spiritual light of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this. How are you responding to the light of Jesus? Are you running from it or are you running to it? Will you run to it? Will you run to him? Run to him. And where do you need his light? Where do you need it? Do you need it so you can see him and believe or you can see him and still believe because you're having such a hard time still believing? Do you need it so you can see the right path forward? You have no idea which way to turn. Do you need his light to grow you more like him? To help you turn from your sin? To grow beautiful fruit in you? Do you need him to light in your darkness and give you hope? Do you need his light to shine through you to others? Because there's someone in your life who desperately needs Jesus. Desperately needs him. Where do you need him to give you your light? his light? Whatever you need, ask him for it because he is the light of the world. He came here for you because he loves you. You will never be loved as much as you are loved by Jesus. Never. And he wants to give you light to help you live. Just ask him.